We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On this episode of the No Chill Podcast, we check in from the lockdown of 2020 with the idea that when you take something away, you appreciate it that much more. Taking away the game of basketball, the competition, the camaraderie, the fun, it really hurts. Comparing it to what an athlete goes through with a major injury, you're down, but you're not out. For Agent Zero, he sees it as an opportunity, a chance to get better. By using the downtime to focus on what you should work on, by studying the game, watching film for strategy and detail, you'll come out the other side that much better. Also, there's now time to work on the things that you may otherwise put off when you're in go mode to just work out, play, and repeat. Now that he's a coach, Gil is seeing the additional value in that as well. So we wanted to give you something to work on. We wanted to give you some food for thought and wanted to give you something positive in this time of uncertainty. So it's a very special edition of the No Chill Podcast. Of course, we want you to take the time to be with your family and take care of yourselves and them and be smart out there. But again, here's a No Chill Podcast, something to keep your head up with. As always, subscribe, stay tuned for more episodes. We'll have more coming in the days ahead. Gil, we're uh, we're doing something a little different on this one. I think a lot of people are we're on the home edition, quarantine version of the No Show podcast. <laughs> the quarantine version. <laughs> I mean, the show must go on, so people got to use the time to their benefit. For you, I know you have an opinion on that. I think the thing for me is is for a quarantine for a hooper, you can treat it like an injury. You're forced to slow down, do nothing. And, you know, utilize the time in different ways to maybe you can't do something physically. So, uh, you know, if that, you tell me what it is. Yeah, I mean, things, strength, condition, go like that. Yeah, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's, um, it's slowing down, you know, what you're used to. You know, it's, um, it's giving you time to reflect, you know, on, you know, your career, on, you know, life choices, on what's going on right now. Because... We're all moving so fast that we never sit down and think about what's coming next or what we've done. Or, you know, like some of these NBA players, they get to look back and see, hey, listen, you know, I'm a six-time All-Star. You know, I done made the Olympic team. You get to really, you know, sit back and enjoy your success now. You know, it's like smell the flowers while I'm still alive. You know, that's mm-hmm. this moment right now that we're witnessing that, you know, all the Hoopers out there, they have to slow down. Like, yo enjoy the process that you've you've done now you get to rebuild the new process that's going forward you can you can you can uh, relate to it from basically you were a gym rat and mm-hmm. you were going i don't i don't remember how old you were when you had your first knee injury you were like 25 26 yeah. uh-huh. so like basically you had never been without the game basically you had never been without the game before mm-hmm. so it's like now what do you do um mm-hmm. and maybe uh, you were you ready for that no, no one's ever ready for it. You know, if you're, if you're sitting there and your whole life is, you know, training, working out, you know, you're in your routine and the feeling everyone feels now is what happens when you retire. Mm-hmm. That feeling of loneliness, that feeling of what's next, who am I? You know, that's what everyone's feeling right now. That's what happens when you retire. So this is when you, you get to process that after feeling when the game is no longer you know, available to you, you know, but obviously, you know, it's not the end for everyone. The time where you get to just, you know, put a path in 
to where you want to go next. You know, you look at what you've done and draw a path of what you want to accomplish going moving forward. Yeah, and really, I think you can also focus on what you need to do, what you haven't done, and, and, and get better to improve. And it all starts up here, right? It starts in your mind. So yes. that's really the, the best thing you could work on is the mental side of the game. Yeah, the mental side, you know, watching game tape, um, watching old plays, watching new plays, you know, developing, you know, moves. Like right now, you know, everyone's in the house. You know, this is when you work on your dribbling. This is when you work on your handle. This is where you work on your left hand if you're, if you're right-handed. This is when you work on your right hand if you're a lefty. This is when you work on your footwork, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, calf raises. This is where you, you work on your game without actually going to a hoop. You know, the foundation of, you know, your athleticism. And, you know, I think you said when it was like the injury thing, to focus on the positive here, we're all in this together. So everybody's in the same boat. So when you had your injury or other guys go through that, the tough part is you're watching everybody else play. So you're sitting there yeah. like, shit, man, you want to get back to it. And here it's just everything's had the brakes hit. So everyone's in this downtime right now. So that is the good thing is you don't have to have that itch of watching everybody else play. You mm -hmm. still have the itch that you want to play at some point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I think what you can watch now is film, um, you know, and I think that's there's a lot of guys that you want to study and I think take something from. And I was thinking about this. There's a difference between guys that you watch like they just kind of have that physical that physical gift that you can't really emulate somebody like Shaq or like T-Mac or like KD, like you're either, you're born with that length and that size yeah. or whatever. So who are some guys I think you would recommend, you know, watch on even for skill? You know, just for skill, um, you have to watch, you know, like Dame Lillard, um, CJ McCullough, um, Kyrie, um, of course, Curry, Clay Thompson, Booker, um, DeRozan, um, you know, Trey, your Trey Young, your Lucas, your um, Kimball Walkers, you know, you know, those guys that have to use more of a skill, you know, your James Hardens versus just raw athleticism. You know, right here, you know, I, I wouldn't be watching someone like uh, Giannis. I, I, I mean, I don't, what's the point of it? You know, um, you know, just, you know, Euro stepping trying to dunk is not going to help, you know, you know, build your game. You got to you got to learn the game without being physically gifted. You know, that's what made Michael Jordan great. You know, that's what makes uh, Mayweather great, that you take away all the God given talent and you. You perfect the little things that matter, you know, the footwork, the timing, um, being knowledgeable of what a player can do, what a player can't do, you know, just studying the game overall, understanding the rules of the game, trying to figure out how to bend the rules, you know, to benefit, you know, your, your, your skill. And I think James Harden does that the best, you know, um, knowing that the rule says after I pick up the ball, I get two steps. Well, then he creates the zero dribble where if he bounces, if he picks up the ball the same time as he, you know, steps, that doesn't count. Now he gets that step and one more one or two more. You know, so now you, you created a, a move where you're getting basically a free step on a defender to see, to see him react just by dribbling the ball and bouncing. I mean, dribbling and stepping at the same time. That's what I was thinking about, James, one of those skilled players and how you – like exactly what you said, he takes the rules – it's a hard thing. Like, I don't know if he studied the rule book. You know, I don't know anybody that really does. Maybe he does. But he just saw that there's a way that he can create space is really what you want to do. And I think as a guard, that's great. I haven't really seen a big man do that. Like, think of a but, move. No, no. Tim Duncan created the um, – when you put your hand out and you come up under the hand. Yeah. He's yeah. the one who started that. Yeah. Knowing that this is not legal. So right. I'm going to use that to my benefit. Hook, yeah. You know, so that's where that started. And it was fine. And then once the guards started doing it at three-point line, mm -hmm. it became one of those rules where, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we have to take this out. It's not going to be a shooting trap. 
you know, so it was just studying, you know, um, the rule book, plays, mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, offense, offense evolves, defense doesn't. So, you know, understanding someone like Pat Beverly, you know, those type of aggressive players, how do they play? Understanding how to get them in foul trouble to take away their aggression, um, understanding their techniques, and then perfecting your skill around it. Well, speaking you know, this of is, this is that time where you really get to dive in because there's no game tomorrow and the next week. And, you know, there's none of that. There's right now, there's no scheduling of nothing. So this is when you get to go to ground zero and just study. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is, again, another thing that we have right now that let's say this happened like 40 years ago. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have, you know, on-demand video and things like that. So I was watching, speaking of defense, I was watching Kenny Martin had posted some stuff last night. Uh, and one thing, you know, kind of speaking of defense, and this is for guys to learn from watching film and learn on defense, is that he forced uh, Jermaine to to basically like spin and pick up his dribble, but he exposed the ball on his spin. So he knew if I'm going to f- force him this way or give him this to spin to his left, he's going to expose the ball and I got to steal right there. So like things like that, if you watch and break those things down, it's hard to find that just that like little piece of an opportunity as a defender in real time. So you got to watch, you got to watch the play like three times. Yeah. See, when you're in the playoffs, that's when we get the rule book, we get the playbook and we get every, the bad, the good, you know, of every player, you know, but that's at our level, you know, you know, it doesn't happen in college and all, you know, so you have to understand, you know, you have to be able to break all this stuff down on your own. You have to be a student of the game. You know, some kids, they're talented, but they're not a student. So at some point, they will be surpassed. You know, you have to, you know, talent, talent is not talent. I mean, I've seen a lot of talent sitting on that bench because they can't remember a play. They don't know how to be coached. You know, they, doesn't, they don't understand system basketball they don't know how to take their greatness and put it in a room and understand how that room moves for their greatness to stand out you know you know so like you know you take a a open court player he's great at open court he's great at aau style basketball he can score 40 then you you put him on a team and say all right these are our plays and he doesn't know how to play basketball anymore you know you have a bunch of that you know, you, you, you got, I've watched, you know, I've been in the AAU circuit for a little bit now and you have kids, 11, 10, 12th grade. They don't know what curl screens, flare screen. They don't, they don't know the simple things because they were so talented that the coaches let them do whatever they want. And, you know, and it's just, yo, we're going to press full court and just run up and down all day, which, well, that's not going to happen in college. Juco, nor the next level. And if you can't understand the concept of a play like, yo, this is what we're going to do, and then go out there and do it, you're going to be sitting on that bench. But how do you give somebody that? So I was watching – I'm watching a lot of documentaries right now too uh, on Five Slam Jamma. So their thing was back then, the 80s, right, teams like North Carolina or Kentucky or like UCLA, they were half-court sets, you know, like the four corners, like all the slowdown. They didn't have, you know, three-point line or shot clock and stuff like that. And then Houston – they said, we're just going to run and mm-hmm. utilize like those guys were great in transition. But then when they got to the tournament, they went to the, the championship game three years in a row, which is crazy to, you know, go through the final four and then to the championship. A, a track star, thoroughbred, great in transition and give them something to focus on in the half court set. So where they can be, build up that speed or like find lanes to attack the basket. They, I mean, you have to emulate it in practice. You have to put them, you have to do that in game situations. You you know, like, you know, now that I'm a coach, you know, um, even though I feel I've been coaching my whole career, if you're a star player, you're coaching, but it's not the same coach. And it's like, yo, give the coach that, hey, yo, get him the hell out of here. You know, that's my coach. Yo, hey, you know, yeah. sub, you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, that's my style of coaching from a player side. You know, so coaching from a coaching side, like, I remember a, a coach, a, a, a parent said, yo, just let him play. And I'm sitting here thinking, that's the problem. You want me to just let them play. No concept of what basketball really is. So I called 
the same play. There's no shot clock. I said, yo, pin down. Go set the pick. You curl off. They mess it up. Reset. Do it. I called the same play 12 times in a row. On the same possession, no shot. It's like, yo, I want you to go screen that guy. He comes off and curl. Let's get a good shot. Guy overran him. Do it again. Do it again until you get it right, until you understand the concept of what you're doing. Pick that guy. You're a big man. Once you pick him, roll. If he switches, post up. If he doesn't, there's a curl. After the 12th time of attempting it, we got the layup. Like, well, oh, I'm not going to just let them play. Like, this is not the – like, there's times to just go out there and play, but I want you to know how to play basketball first. I want you to understand what a mismatch is. When a guy can't stick you, then you need to play decoy. You know, because everyone's focused on you right now. Be decoy. Like, believe that guy will make that shot because if he makes that shot, now you get another five, six free baskets of one-on-one because now his man can't help. But if you're never going to pass it to that guy, you're going to play hard-time basketball. You know, so it's trying to get the kids to understand that part of the game. So I was at the game. I don't think it was the one you're talking about. was the game that um, it was basically a scrimmage. But, okay, so let's say it's a game, and the parents saying they want their kids to play. What the parents care about, right, did they win? You know, uh, is my kid playing well and is the team winning? Mm-hmm. I know that's not the priority for you because you want them to learn and know how to uh, kind of basically know what they're talking about and be able to take on next-level kids. So you're talking about your team, those kids are – 12 and 13 playing 14 year olds. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're 12, 13 playing uh, 14, 15. And there was a play that you had where you uh, basically had, a, let's say, a top of the key, and then you had a player in the high post uh, on the right elbow, and you're having to make an entry pass. And I think it was like two plays in a row. You called the same play, threw it, the defender, you know, picked it off. Two plays in a row. And what the kid just wasn't getting was the angle like he was making the right pass make mm-hmm. it was the angle wasn't delivering it in the right place but he's thinking he's just not open and it was mm-hmm. like no no no, he's open he's got him he's got him sealed so yeah. just if you and you literally stopped the game took the ball and like took it three steps over to the right and said okay now throw it this way and if he goes to gamble for the steal he's not going to get it and he's got a clear path to the basket but it's just to see that angle yeah, and then, so we're talking about like right now is the time that you can watch film and see angles. What's so funny? That was my son. You know, is you, you're sitting there trying to make this entry pass on this side of the court. Like I don't know what superpower you think you two have, but that is not a possible pass. I don't care who's playing defense. So if you're trying to pass it to him, you need to dribble over and entry it. If not, you're on this side. Use this big guy. You know, so it's just letting them understand the concept because they're so used to just going one-on-one and him using his natural given talent because he's more skilled than everyone. Like, no, you no, that's not how this game works. That's not how the game works. So you have to understand you're the point guard. When the coach calls a play, run the play and get what the coach is trying to, you know, get because he sees something that you don't see. I see this guy is the nine. So if you can make the entry pass the first time, the second time he's going to go for the steal, he spins off, you throw the lob. You know, those are the things that the kids don't see, that the coach sees. And sometimes the kids the coach don't see. Mm-hmm. But you have to earn that trust with the coach to understand that, hey, you make that call because I didn't see what you were seeing. But they're not at that level yet. Yeah, you can't just roll the ball out and expect them to figure it out. You know, that's the, 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 the point of the coach. But also, I think for kids, too, I remember at that age or that level, whatever, you have the X's and O's, right? So it's like one, two, three, four, five. You're here. You go on this play. I'm here. I set a screen or I curl or whatever that is. That's they're just thinking, like, I got to make sure I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And then it's just it's a lot of information. So then like knowing what to do when they get the ball versus like if you're just a playground player that's used to going ISO one on one, that's it's hard to transition to organized basketball. That takes the coach that can relay that information like this kid might be just a good like, you know, glue guy, set screens, rebound, all that. This kid is my guy who I'm going to just mm-hmm. give the ball to and like create. But how do I get those two to play together? 
Because, you know, that's funny you said that's a playground basketball player. Because there's a reason that a lot of those, you know, back then and one mixtape guys didn't translate. They couldn't take their skill to the, to the NBA because they were skilled at street basketball, not organized basketball. You know, so, you know, it's two different worlds. It's two different worlds. There's rules and understand how to be great in rules versus just you do what you want to do. Wild, wild west type of basketball. But so I think like you actually were okay with that, but I would say you were a playground player one-on-one, you know, you, you were good at that. But at some point, I think Eagle gets involved for a lot of guys. If you're, if you're just a stud on the playground, and then this coach is telling you to do A, B, C, D, and you're like, yeah, I, I know how to play basketball. I can score on my man anytime you want. Mm-hmm. True. But what happens when you're triple team? What happened? You know, like the, there's, there's things that other teams can strategize against decreasing your effectiveness. So for not every – you're talking about playground guys. Not every playground guy would put the ego aside to say, like, all right, I'm gonna actually going to listen to this coach who's going to utilize my talent. That's what a coach wants to do. They don't want to, like, decrease well, or, I mean, you know, put training you know, wheels on you. You know, it depends on coaching style. You know, there's so many different coaches, and there's – you know, you have the old school coach that, you know, that wants 10, 20 passes before every shot. You know, you have the old school um, – we're going to do UCLA cutting. You know, you know, you, you, you have – you know, you have, you know, young coaches that's like, no, we're just going to get up and down. We're just going to beat them with – I you know, so you have so many different coaches, and – None of them are wrong in a sense. It's, you know, just understanding basketball, period, is the actual goal. Well, um, I think that – well, go ahead. You know, so with me, I've been at every level. You know, high school where my coach was a defensive coach, and he had to change his style for my offensive ability. You know, so, you know, to him it was – 10, 15, 20 passes, and we're going to boggle down on defense to, well, we have a guy who no one can stop. So the 20 pass rule is out, you know, but, you know, now we're just going to focus on, you know, the defense, the defensive rules stay in offense. We're going to do, we're going to do what he does. You know, then you have, you know, Arizona where, you know, they didn't have to run plays for me because I knew how to move it out the ball. You know, so you didn't have to, you know, run a play or call my play. I just, hey, my guy is not looking at me. I'm going to backdoor him. I'm going to cut in front of him. I'm going to do the little things that I can do to have that advantage. So, you know, I can play without the ball, play with the ball. So, you know, I was one of those type of guys who understood the concept of just basketball, period. You know, I play with adults. You know, and if you're a 14, 15-year-old playing with adults, they're not passing you the ball ever. The only way I'm going to score is if I got a steal, got a fast break. I got it off the glass, tipped it back in, tipped, dunked it back in, or I literally backdoor the guy and they actually passed the ball. But all this, whoop, whoop, whoop. come on, young fella, get, you know, do something else. You know, so now I had to learn how to just shake and do, you know, that's what kids don't understand today. They all think they need the ball to score. Well, technically you need the ball to score, but they think they need to dribble and I need to do no. If you look at Steph Curry, like look at these guys. Steph Curry, very great with the ball. More dangerous without it. When he passes that ball, he's going to get four or five back screens. He's going to shake and bake. Like he's harder to guard without the ball. You know, so it's like understanding as a basketball player, you have to understand the game and understand how to be effective with and without. It's that hard to coach and to teach. You really, that's something to really study when you mm-hmm. watch. Basically, if you see a half-court set, if you're watching game tape now, I, I guess it's different because it's, uh, it's less instinctual if you're watching NBA stuff. Like, it's all by design. But you can just see the guys that move well without the ball. And, I mean, I, I watched a lot of MJ stuff. And, like, he just could do a simple fake. They had some plays where inbound sets and he would mm-hmm. just fake his man and get a lob. But yep. if you, if you watch, if you want to teach to play uh, a young player that what is you, what are you telling them to look for or actually to focus on and moving without the ball? Uh, you look for human behavior, understanding that on defense, you're all taught to follow the ball, right? You know, the ball is over here. You're going to be here. You're going to be here. So everyone is a ball watcher on defense. The, Everyone is watching the ball. 
not necessarily you. So once you see him turn his head, move, go somewhere else, back door. Like you have to understand what the concept of defense is. What is it? How is it being taught? What are they teaching? You know, so everyone follows that orange thing. So if you're following that orange thing, I'm just waiting for you to look at it. Like I knew with Jason Terry, like with Jason Terry, if I have the ball, I'll pass it. I'll just run straight down the lane. He lost him. I lost him. Because he's he's he was a steel guy. So he's looking at the ball the whole time. So I just make a simple pass. He's gonna look at it, and I'm just gonna backdoor him. You know, so I was great at backdooring. Um, you know, so to to really watch what a guy does without the ball, you have to look at players like Steph Curry, Lou Aldane, you know, players like Cal Corverts. You know, you, you have to look at JJ Reddick's guy of uh, Rip, Rip Hamilton, yeah. Um, Ray Allen, Kerry later Kittle, later in his career. You know, Kerry Kittle's guys that were shooting guards and just understood the concept of just running. I'm just going to run around, and you're just going to have to chase me. Like, I was a great on-ball defender, horrible weak side defender. Because I was a ball chaser. I, was, I, I, I want steals. You know, so... When, when guys wanted to run around picking rolls and stuff and down screens and up screens and those knees is coming and the elbows from the big man, like, I don't want no parts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the finding space, too. So if no, if the ball's on the right wing, that either that if someone's in the corner that's overloaded a little bit, I can go out to the other side. So you got to be able to move. And I'm not going to say it's a wasted possession, but no, on this this possession, I might get the not get the ball at all. I might not touch it unless they swing it, swing it fast, or I can crash for a long rebound. If so, if it comes from the wing, goes to that corner, he shoots it from there. I'm going to come from the other side. I'll get it. So there's ways that you can get it. This I'm thinking back to the young kid in the older class that they're not going to want to chase you either. So just go to the open space. That's kind of common sense, but you'd be surprised that people don't always think like that. So to really be a really great offensive juggernaut you have to master plays. You have to understand plays in and out. And the reason you need to understand them in and out is because you need to know how to cheat the play. Where's an open spot I can run that doesn't affect the play? What can I do if I pass the ball here and they're going to do a screen and roll? If I backdoor and cut and post up, does that affect their movement? If no, boom, I'm going to try to do it. You know, um, like I remember we used to have, we used to run, the, in, you know, Arizona, we used to run the lanes, right? And, you know, we run down our side. So, you know, Richard's right-handed. So Richard always ran the right. I ran the left. You know, I didn't really, you know, had it matter. But what I did with Richard was if, if Jason Gardner threw it to Richard on the other side, I'll dive to the basket to try to get a quick, you know, which yep. took away his drive in a sense. Yeah, he probably did like that. <laughs> he didn't, which took away his drive in a sense, but the defense never seen it coming because the ball is not with me, and they're just tracking the ball. So I'll just sneak under from the other side and just, boom, backdoor right under the basket layups. Well, or, know, so I would we say he, stuff like that. But he would know that. Now, you, if he's going to drive, let's say he's already driving and you're going you're gonna to fill the lane, that – your defender probably would go double him if he's going to go up in the air so he could drop it off to you. Yeah, so that- or, or we used to have, like, little things where if he did put it on the, the, the floor, he was going back middle. So he's on the right side, they pass it. Then he's on a fake baseline and go back middle because he wanted to dunk with his – so my movement didn't affect him. Because I'm running baseline. You know, so I'm basically running baseline while he's going middle. You know, so, you know, it worked well, but that's understanding. So I'm understanding the offense, and I'm also understanding the players. What do the players like to do? You know, so studying the game, like being great at the game is being great, but the Kobe's, the LeBron's, the Curry's, the KD's, the Jordan's, those that go into that next level, you have to understand everything that's going on on that floor. You have to understand the refs. What are the refs' tendencies? Does he like you? Does he not like you? Does he hate that player? You know, does he does he hate a Draymond Green? Is you know, because if he hates a Draymond Green, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna use that to my advantage. Hey, you know, Draymond's doing all the dumb stuff today. You know, can you watch out for him? <laughs> Knowing that, ooh, anytime Draymond thinks about doing something wrong, he's gonna be ready on it. You know, so you have to understand does he does he call a lot of and ones? Is he more of an 80s ref? All the, the 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 travel on the you know the Euro step. What type of ref is he? You know, can you talk to him? Is he one like you have to understand every element of this game if you want to be that guy like that that's on the top of the food chain or you just want to be you know a middle of the road you know i'm good you know i made the all-star here and there you know i mean it's i guess i don't think anybody really thinks like that i just want to be middle of the road but i think no 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 that's reality that's how everyone thinks they they want to be the star but they don't understand what it takes to be the star. Yeah, so they end right. up thinking like a middle-of-the-road player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing, especially because you are a coach now, is to know what a coach expects of you. And I think as a, as a kid or a younger player, you're afraid of the coach. I, I don't know if it's the same now. Maybe if you want to try something or experiment, you're worried about that coach yanking you. Mm-hmm. So – that's what I was going to ask you where you're at right now with these kids versus when you were their age or when you were a kid playing in, in what you thought you could do and what you thought you couldn't do and what you're seeing these kids try to get away with. See, uh, I learned early that try to shit in practice so they can see it. <laughs> you know, so if I'm going to, you know, do something, I'm going to do it in practice. I'm going to do all my little tricks in practice, practicing it. So when I do it in a game, he's already seen it. So I've already... He's already yelled at me before when I tried it. I bounced it off the floor, tried to dunk it, or throw it behind my back for the lob when that was popular. I did it in practice. So when I tried it in a game, it wasn't foreign to him. Well, if I only tried in a game at that moment in time, he's reacting in real time. You know, so, you know, I think most kids, um, they practice these moves. And for the most part, the only time they get to try them is in game. Because what I'm starting to realize is AAU is not what it used to be. It's, it's not, you know, you, right now it's everyone cares more about winning than development. So you have teams out there that just tries to grab the best players, put them all together. No one practices and they just come and play games. And that's what players are accustomed to. You know, we, it, it's, it's more of the prima donna style that we're going to cater to this guy because he's better than everyone. And, you know, he don't need to come to practice. You know, he you know and what ends up happening is it's a, a false self of greatness, of, of work ethic, because that's not how greats are greats. Greats are greats because they are being treated like everyone else. They're, 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 they're thriving on their greatness. They're they're the hardest workers out of everyone else. You know, they're not the guy that comes to practice and he thinks he's better than everyone and he's going to sit on the side while everyone else practice. That's not. The greats practice more than everyone else. Yeah, and I think also, you know, kind of talking about some, some stuff that I was watching, so back to uh, Fight Slam Majama and Elijah Wan, there's been a lot of guys, Jordan falls in this category too, or like, you know, kind of you could talk about your experiences that you also want to get, you don't want to get too much too soon. You want to have something, you know, that can motivate you. So Elijah Wan's thing was like, he was a kid from Africa, discovered basketball late and played, and he was like pretty good, but then grew and grew and grew. So he went from like six two to six seven to seven feet. Mm-hmm. And, like, if he didn't have those circumstances, he wouldn't have been alive. He didn't become seven feet. He would have been another guard and a kid from Africa. probably would have never made it here. But I think you also have to have, like, something that motivates you or, or sets you back or, you know, something like that. Or sophomore in high school, you'll, you'll not have left anything to prove by the time you're 18, 19. Yeah, I mean, it's not that you won't have anything to prove. we got to remember, if you're peaking at freshman or sophomore – your development of what you, the advantage you had over everyone is peaked. So what ends up happening is, you know, if you're a dominant eighth, ninth, 10th grader, you're only, you're only dominant because you're stronger, faster, 
jump higher than the rest of that those, those that age group. What ends up happening is because the four, the five, the bigger kids don't start hitting their growth spurts until junior, senior year, everything you've done is now gone the window. If you're still six two six three, like you peak that six two six three, you know two ten. Yeah, you're gonna bully anyone in eighth, ninth, tenth grade. That's by far. But when everyone catches up and surpasses you in size and height and strength, and now the forty four inch verticals are coming in the game, and you know those, you know, um, say those. I mean those Zach Levines and all those guys. There's Zion Williamson's are jumping in in the eleventh grade, and you're like, what the what the hell is this? And you haven't processed that information of this is going to happen. And you're still doing the same in and out. I'm going to go dunk on this 5'10 kid. When it hits you, you get hurt. And that's why in history, if you look at it, most 8th, ninth, 10th graders that were ranked number one do not keep their ranking or become what they were those years. They don't become it because mentally what they're great at. They're thinking, if I'm the number one player in eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, of course I'm going to be the number one player in 11th and 12th. Everyone else sucks. Well, yeah. Well, that seven foot 10th grader, yeah, he sucks now because he doesn't have his motor skills yet. But, and he doesn't have his jumping ability yet. So yeah, you're laughing at him because he sucks now. But he's seven foot and he has footwork well, by the time he takes the baby fat off by 11th grade and now he has a jumping ability, oh, my God, he's Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> yeah, that's the number one player in the country. Yeah, yeah, that's what ends up happening. You know, and, I, and you have to be in tune with, with evolution, with understanding how things work. You know, yeah, you're, you're Mercedes-Benz around Hondas. Well, of course you're going to be the fastest thing in a... But those same Hondas, you didn't know their engines were really forgotten. And they just, it just hasn't processed yet. And I think what you're talking about with evolution now, you know, I was watching the uh, 03 McDonald's game. So you look at LeBron, mm-hmm. number one since, you know, whatever. He was 13. And so, uh, end of his sophomore, end of his sophomore, yeah. end of his sophomore year. I mean, uh, going yeah. into a sophomore year, he was ranked number no, one. Number one, yeah, right. Number one high school. Yeah, I forgot that. But number one high school as a sophomore, but number one ranked for his age. And then he goes to the All-American game. It was all about him. And just, I mean, that's what's impressive about him. He's always ratcheted it up and always got mm-hmm. better. But the thing about it is it's not really a coincidence, right? Because there was always like another, for him, there's another challenge. So like, all right, I'm this, I'm this phenom. I gotta go to the NBA, and be but, have an impact well, as an 18 year old. But okay, there's a difference between LeBron because, you know, he's a rare case because he's a rare case of a guy, a kid who was bigger than everyone then, and kept being bigger than everyone. That doesn't usually happen. You know, you don't. You know, you don't usually come in, you know, you're a freshman at 6'6", 210. And then, you know, sophomore, you're 6'7", just 6'8". And then you keep growing. And you're still like, you know, when people said, oh, yeah, he's 6'8". Like, like well, Jimmy Butler's 6'8". Clay Thompson's 6'7". LeBron is no 6'8". He's never been 6'8". Not in a, in, as an NBA player. You know, so it's one of those things where he's just – he just kept growing. Most kids peak out, you mm-hmm. know, like, like, like Jello Ball, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have Jello Ball, who you can tell that for the most part of growing up, he was bigger and stronger than everyone. He was a center, center power forward, you know. So for him, at that moment in time, he's the biggest thing on the court. By the time junior senior year comes around, he's never developed his six four six five guard skills because he never had to until it was too late, and that was the problem with him. Everybody else were guards. Now your point guard, you know Lamelo, is the tallest out of the three. You know, so now what ends up happening is you have the smallest, who was the biggest then. 
as your power forward center. You had the smallest then as your guard. Now he's the biggest one in the family. So now you have a six, seven point guard. Now his ceiling is skill. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, you know, that's the, that's what changes. You know, it changes, you know, people height, growth, growth spur, hitting it at the right time, understanding it, you know, but for the most part, you know, you have to look at dynamic, your parents. You know, if your parents is both five, six, and they got you playing center, and you're five, six in the eighth grade, listen, the chances Start of you dribbling being the six, right now. Yeah, the, the chance of you being six nines not happening. Mm-hmm. So learn what five six supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. no matter what, even if you grow a couple more inches, you're still gonna be a guard. So being a power forward and a center, not knowing how to dribble is gonna hurt your career going forward. But that's that's still being in tune with the game itself. Well, that's why it's funny for parents like LeVar. Yeah, I think, like, obviously Lonzo did well, number two overall pick. That, like, as a parent, that's great to have happen. But then also, like, the best – the kid that he should probably expect the most out of would be LaMelo because, you know. Yeah, but – You go okay. from the – you put the most on the youngest kid. No, no, no. It's like this. It's, it's, it's like being a used car salesman, right? You only sell or hype the stuff that's not really good, right? You, I mean, when, you, when you're thinking about a salesman, they're pitching you on the stuff that's not really what it really is. So you've never heard him push LaMelo. You don't need to sell a... The Bugatti, the Bugatti, the Ferrari, Maserati, they sell itself. It sells itself. Yeah, so, but the hardest sell he had to make was just to get on the map at first with Lonzo, right? Yeah. Like, that put the ball family on the map. That put the ball, know that mean, you know, so he sees. But you what know, he had that, it was, I think, I don't even know how old uh, LaMelo was at that point. Was he 11 years old, 12 years old? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you don't know see. that. But that's his ultimate. Like, that's what I no, you can really see got in you my remember. In tool shed. I have... I had Zoe at whatever his age, and when he was 11, where does he compare to the little one at 11? So if the little one is sitting here versus when Lo was at 11, you know the outcome of the you, – you, you see the progression. So you know what you have over here, so you don't need to hype it. it that, he's that's going to be fine. I need to get these to an NBA. You know, I need to get him, and then from him, I got to somehow get, you know – you know, Jello and, you know, LaMelo, he just needs to keep moving forward. You know, so, and that's exactly how he played it. He played it exactly like that. Oversell Zoe, try to push the hell out of, you know, Jello, and then you just let LaMelo do whatever he wants. Like, come on, like, you have no hype machine behind LaMelo. LaMelo's game is a hype machine. How he plays the game, it's exciting. Like, so you don't really need to sell that product because it sells itself. You know, um, I always look at, you know, when someone's trying to oversell me something, I want to I wanna really dive in and look at it. You know, um, I would never, I personally would never invest anything in a 9th, 10th, 11th grader. If it is, that means his, his parents... Mother 6'2", 6'3", 6'1", because I know he's going to be in that, that range of 6'4", to 6'8", you know? So you can mold, no matter where he starts off, you can mold his game around, you know, okay, 6'4", six, six, to 6'8", you know he's, he's, he's going to be a guard wing type of player. So it's easily to mold that, that, that guy, you know? So it's but like... I think it- well, if you look at that, like, if you look at that, though, you look at Steph, like young Steph, man, you, I guess, obviously, his dad was in the NBA. I don't know if Dell was like six, three, something like that. But Steph was so small. But what you do, so you kind of, I think you have to take that into account. He didn't go to a big time school, obviously. So I don't think anybody was really projecting him to be bigger than what he was. So you looked at him at face value. He was just small. Same with like CJ McCollum. But what you do see, I think what the real eye 
recognizes is all the skill that they have. And I was like, man, if this kid is that small, can get his shots off and, and put up the numbers that he puts up, you know, you can't, you, you can't discount the skill. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it benefits guys like Steph and CJ. Um, it benefited someone like um, Anthony Davis, where they're small guys at that moment in time. So they're developing a small man's game where this guy is bigger. So I have to use more head fakes, pump fakes, got to dribble more, got to be more deceptive. So once they get that, this five, five kid, then grew to six, four, he's six, four, all those little man intangibles. So now you have the Steph like sitting here, playing with you, coming in with the finger rolls because he had to learn it at a smaller age because he was underdeveloped at that point. You know, and I think that's what, you know, some people miss. Like, you know, if you're if you're 6'4 with a 42-inch vertical in the ninth grade, you're not learning little things like that. You're not learning little things like that because you don't need to. It's just one dribble, and I'm just going to jump over everybody. One dribble, I'm going to jump over everybody. What ends up happening is 11, 12, first year in college, if you if you make it to the NBA, you done went five, six years without developing how to actually play basketball, to understand the fundamentals of the game because you were just more dominant than everyone at that moment in time during your developmental stage. Right. It's very rare that Giannis is. That's why they call him, you know, or like, but, but, you're a but, unicorn. But Giannis, Giannis got that later on. You got to remember. Yeah. Giannis mentally knew what he wanted to do. He needed the physical part of it. When I come in and understand how to do, yes. So, like, somebody, you can tell that no matter how big he was, he had to learn skill because he wasn't physically more dominant. Who, who are you talking about? Giannis or Embiid, like uh, Embiid. Um, yeah. So you can see Embiid uses straight skill work. Even though he's big, he's he goes more off of skill versus someone more like uh, Dwight Howard, where he was just physically stronger than everyone. So he tried to dominate by pushing through everyone versus, you know, trying to, you know, outsmart them in a sense of FA skill, you know, so, you know, you have, you can see it in those, those characteristics with, with, with guys like somebody like um, Ingram. Ingram has to use more skill work because he's skinny. Mm-hmm. So trying to, trying to push and bully through kids won't work. So now he has to be more skillful. Now in two years, if he grows strength, he's going to be a whole different type of player because now he has the strength to push through people with his skill work. Yeah, and I think that's why he was drafted at number two was because, like, he has all this length. If the coaches can figure out how to harness that, and I think the comp was always KD, right? So it's just, like, if he can be that. First of all, they're not the same. They're physically very similar. But, like, the thing about KD is what I wanted to bring it back to is he – I don't I don't know. Maybe you know where that comes from, just the way he grew up or just the way he – the skill and the work that he put into his body it was just, like – the combination, like kind of the perfect, almost like the you perfect. Where it comes from, it comes from working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just, like, I think, he, I think his thing. But you know, everybody's got their story, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I think his thing is he just loved basketball, loved the hoop, and that's and he could have ended up five six. You know, but you got to remember that's the key to everything. You have mm-hmm. to love the game, mm-hmm. and I can tell you that. What you're saying about Katie, he loves the game. We have, a, we have a discussion every few months, me and him. And it's always the same. Name me. <laughs> name me your top five. Right now. Right? So we start from five to four, and then he always says, none of that, none of that bullshit run through, you know, analytics. I mean, not analytics, but uh, analyzing. I want the full breakdown, moves, strengths, weaknesses, Go-to moves, you know, so I have to go one through five, right? And the funny thing is when we come to a disagreement, <laughs> but it's, it's funny because it's like, all right, I put him at two one time. 
He was like, why, wait, why oh, so he can include himself in his five? No, he's the one's the best five. Right. So like, Does he count himself? He doesn't want he doesn't have a five. He wants okay. me to give him okay. the top five. <laughs> All so right. I put him All at right. two. And his question was like, why am I two? I was like, one, you're hurt right now. Well, if I'm hurt, don't put me in it. <laughs> you know, it's like don't put me in it. He's like, what's my what's my strengths and weakness? So I gave him, broke it down, and he was like, So how come that strength and weaknesses is number one or number two? And then, you know, so then he uh, said, what's LeBron's strength and weaknesses? So I gave him LeBron's strength and weaknesses. And I said, listen, when it comes down to natural basketball, you got to remember when it comes to, I said, can LeBron stop you? Can you stop LeBron? For the most part, yeah, because LeBron is not an offensive juggernaut. Like, you know, LeBron doesn't want to be 40 points a game. You know, so you're, 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 what you're great at are two different things. And I said, what LeBron rates higher is because stat-wise, he's going to be a better rebounder. Even though you can rebound him, he's just required to rebound. You both can pass, but he's required to pass, steal, play defense, get his teammates involved. So he grabs more, you know, items than you, even though you can do the same thing, but you're not required to do this. You're required to go out there, score, and kill him on an offensive end. So what ends up happening is even though you can push into these categories, you don't be, you're not required to do it. So at the end of the day, he always pushes in front of you in the overall ranking. And I said, you know, it just, it's just a personnel thing. Like I, I seen the thing that had bench, was it start, bench, or cut? And it was Westbrook, Curry, Dane. And I'm sitting there and I said, Technically, this is actually not as easy as you would assume. Um, I'm, I'm you, trying to think. I'm trying to think of what your answer would be. I couldn't answer it. Yep. Because they're all totally different players. Mm -hmm. So when you when you take away when you take away accomplishments and you just break down their game. I have Dame Leonard who can play one two. And I think of that three is asked to do more in his throughout his career. No, he's been asked. No, I'm to just do saying more you're just an overall overall mm -hmm. when it comes to just the game. You yeah you have the you're a gamer. That means mm -hmm. the last five minutes that's your time. You thrive in those. You you hit big shots. You know. So now the last five minutes that's who I will be playing. Mm -hmm. Now you have Curry, who's probably the most deadliest guard scoring-wise because he can play without the ball, he can play without the ball. So you can, you can put a, a Trey Young and he can still be effective. You can put a Luka, he can still mm -hmm. be effective because he can play the one, the two. And, you know, you have a guy who has no fear of taking shots, period. Mm -hmm. So if you're down 20, 30, there's no lead that – this guy cannot, you know, eat up. But you know, you know so, who I like, like Dame Deep. So, so you have that aspect of him. Then you have Westbrook, who hmm. is the Bugatti. Does everything. Golf. Yeah, that's, that's tough. No, I'm just saying he's just the Bugatti. He's, hmm. he's the if, – if someone said, all right, we're going to make the Thanos of guards. Mm -hmm. We're going to make the ultimate guard. And you put them all lined up, he will have the shortest route to be Thanos because he physically has all the physical attributes. Fastest, he's the fastest. He jumps the highest, fast twitch muscles, what rocket line. Like he has all the gifts 6'5, 220. You have everything that. I think the other two, obviously, better shooters, pure shooters. Okay, but you're not listening. You're already trying to answer. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm just saying, trying to. These are tough, man. It's picking. He's 6'5", 44-inch vertical. He mm -hmm. has all the attributes. 
-hmm. You still got to. You just have to put shooting into his body mm -hmm. and IQ, a little better IQ. Now you have a guy, so we're going to take Steph's shooting, Dame Leonard's fourth quarter oh. finish. Boop! That's it. Mm -hmm. Dame, you got to make 6-5. Dame, you got to give him Westbrook's fast twitch muscles. Dame, you got to give him his explosion. Dame, like, you have to do that with every guard. So he will be short, the shortest. He has the shortest distance to be. So what ends up happening is, you have a guy who doesn't have the scoring or shooting talents of these two, but you can't cut the closest thing to Thanos. Mm. Is you know, so you have the only Bugatti. You have a raw Bugatti. So you're saying starter bench because you just said you him, can't cut him. I, I automatically gets the bench spot. Okay, so who's your start? I yeah, it's a tough choice. See, he's the only like I know one one player guaranteed is bench, and he has to. I okay. can't cut him now with the other two. Eh. I know. You know, so I, that's why I couldn't answer it. I couldn't. I couldn't answer it because it's you didn't want to. Mm. I lean towards Dame, but man, I, love Steph. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's see, most people will just go Dame, Steph, cut Westbrook. Yeah, not necessarily, right? Yeah, but I can't. You, I can't. I, yeah. How do you cut the Bugatti when these two physically are not? Mm. You know, so it's one of those things. that's like I had to use more of the thought process than mm. think about the actual game. Like, yeah, you can cut Westbrook, but do you really want to play against him? No. You know, uh, you know. Now you have a Bugatti who actually runs his engine. Like, you know, so it's he plays one thousand miles an hour. Who put that? Whoever put that list together was that. Eh, that was a good. That was a real, that was a good one. Well, see, I think for someone so, like me, you know, I mean, to have to think about that. Well, to bring it all full circle on this uh, lockdown homebound edition, you know, is to recognize that there are just, there's so many layers and levels to your game that just never be satisfied. And no matter what life hands at you, I know right now is like never, uh, it's like anything else we've ever experienced, but use the time, you know, to your benefit. Uh, in every this way. is this is when you learn how to be obsessed with it. You know why? Because it just got taken away from you. Mm -hmm. So the feeling, the feeling you feel, all these kids are feeling, the feeling you feeling right now of your life being taken away in a sense of what you were doing every day not waking up, doing the same routine, has came to a halt. It stopped. They're saying, you can't do it anymore. That feeling you have, if you never want to feel that again, be obsessed with being the best at it. Watching film, understanding film, understanding movements, understanding rules, laws. I mean, understanding it all. This is the time where you get to say, you know what? I never want this feeling again. So I need to dive in and understand how to master this, how to be one of the greats. You know, right now, I know if Kobe was in high school or junior high, what would he be doing? Probably 100 push-ups a day, you know, 1,000 sit-ups a day, calf raises, working on his physique. You know, going in there dribbling, laying on his back, you know, shooting up in the sky, two, three thousand shots. What else you gonna do? Sit and play video games all day? Because you gotta remember, right now everyone's on the same playing field. So if someone when it comes to just hours or shots, this guy, his talent, he had ten thousand more shots made than me, because he started or whatever. This is my time to catch him. This is my time to catch him right now. So when we start back, maybe he's only 4,000 shots better than me. And maybe I can catch him later down the line. But this is when you get to, like, really creep on someone. You know, sit there, you're, do your, you was probably skinny. Now you put a little, doing 100 push-ups a night, and you got a little bulk when you come back. And everybody's like, oh, man, what'd you do? I worked. You know, this is, this is that time. There's... <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and that's what I was saying was really you use this 
like like with an injury, you use it as fuel to say that I'm not only going to come back, I'm going to come back better, more complete, mm-hmm. stronger, more more full of intelligence, and just work on every weakness to where, uh, you know, I, I'm better than I really had imagined or I was when I left this thing. Yeah, that's the only way you right. can do it. Well, we'll get through this eventually. Uh, we'll do an episode soon enough face-to-face, but in the meantime, everyone, uh, wash your hands, stay healthy, stay safe, be smart. And yeah, uh, yeah, You know what? With all that, uh, uh, stop buying toilet paper. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just sorry. That don't, that don't make no sense to me. You know, um, I understand the concept of it that uh, you're going to use it when you want to use the restroom. But if you don't have no food to go through your body to use a restroom to wipe it, <laughs> you got a problem. <laughs> Load up on water, canned foods, and, you know, be, you know, to be, my thing is be mindful of everyone else. You know, like I, I went to go buy something that is, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, let me get 400 boxes of cereal. Like, for oh, what? So everyone else can starve, like, like you well, it's know, like it's you like, have what you need, and then you yeah, have backup. you don't need backup for the backup. Yeah, like I, I see people buying two hundred yeah. rolls of to- for what? Like, what's yeah. the point? Of, like, you know, it's like yo, shit. I get the yo, yeah. I got a hundred soaps, but he don't, and he's passing it to me. That's let here, here's some soap you can wash your hands too. Here's some soap so you can wash your hands too. You know, and I just think there's just so much misinformation that it keeps everyone confused. You know, I just break it down to just basic, basic knowledge, you know, virus, you know, heat kills virus, you know, no matter what type of virus it is, it can't withstand heat. So, you know, you know, steam rooms, you know, boil some water, you know, put your, your face in and let the steams go in your nostrils and, you know, you know, heat, whatever, you know, virus, you know, gargle salt water, you know, just little things that that is just necessary to how to kill bacteria and viruses. When it comes to foods, I don't think they're giving, you know, the American public or just the world enough information on food. Food is, to me, the number one way the virus is being spread um because no one no one no one thinks twice about what they put in their in their mouth when they're eating so you know all the fruits and vegetables at the store you know if you don't clean it before you get home you don't know what's on it we just accustomed to just grabbing and eating we're accustomed to soda cans just popping it open and drinking not knowing what's on that list. Clean off we the just top. assume, <laughs> you know, that we're, we're, we just assume that it's clean. You know, not knowing that, hey, there's vindictive people in this world. So if someone is sitting home sick and they can't work and they're mad at the world, they want to infect other people. They're going to sneeze and spit on all the food that we consume. You know, McDonald workers, which they have jobs versus everyone else. And if they're sick, they're not going to quarantine themselves. You know, so they're sitting there eating and, Mm. you know, touching your food and you're, you know, buying it and consuming it. Like, you know, so I think there's, you know, we still need to be mindful of little things like that, that wait, hold on. Before you're going out there, just thinking, you know, it's this easy where I can wear my gloves and whoa, the stuff you, you know, you're eating, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to it too. You know, Hey, I see some of the workers wearing gloves okay, that's smart. That's how you protect you. But how do you protect the customer? Because if someone sneezed on money and I grab the money, put it in a drawer, and then I go touch your food, give it to you, you got it. You know, so I think that there should be a requirement to say, hey, after every customer, take your gloves off, put new gloves on. You know, like you can't use the same gloves 10 hours. (laughs) You know, like, you know, it's like, yo, I, I need to take off. I don't know what the last, I don't know the money that person gave me. I don't know what it has on it. I'm going to throw that away, get some new ones. So I just think people need to understand, like, 
and break that part of what's going on down and understanding what's real, what's fake and understanding how to keep themselves clean. You know, every four hours, steam your face, drink water, um, wear gloves. You know, we can sit there and wash our hands all the time, but you know, I can wash my hands right now and then go outside, lift my door handle up. <laughs> that door handle is dirty. We don't know who touched it before me, the gas. T- I mean, so the easiest way is just wear gloves the whole day. And when you take your gloves off, wash your hands. You know, you know. Yeah, you know, and it's just be smart, be considerate, and be careful. I think yeah. it, keep it keep it that simple. Well, we're doing the right thing. We're social distancing right now on this on this episode, so uh, yeah, I'm social distancing because I'm lazy. I didn't feel like. Yeah, I know. This is actually probably like you're you like you know you're a homebody. <laughs> yeah, I so. like being home. You know? And you're a gamer. You're used to this setup, so yeah. uh, don't get used to it. But for now, it'll have to do. All right. All right. Until next Enjoy. time. Okay. All right. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.